0: Are you looking to optimize your performance, grow your mind, and change your system? Well, you've come to the right place. I'm Brad Baker. And I'm Tom Broback. And And this is the Bold Bold. Bass Performance Podcast. Hello, friends. Welcome to the show. I'm Tom Broback, and my guest today is Erica Suter. I've been a huge fan of Erica for a while now and the work she has done for youth soccer girls. Erica combines her history of playing soccer at an elite level with her knowledge of strength and conditioning to provide the ultimate experience for middle school and high school girls. Erica is actually moving to Tampa Bay, a transition we talk about in the podcast. Make sure you check out her social media, blog, podcast, and content at ericasuter.com. One quick favor before we get to the show. Please, if you enjoy listening to the podcast, share it today with one coach, a friend, an athlete, or a parent who would benefit from learning about how to be a better athlete or a better coach. We greatly appreciate it here at BoldBase. Let's continue to grow the mind and change the system. Now that you are moving, especially given the last 12 months that we've had as a country, what has led you to want to make that move? And how have you kind of processed those feelings, emotions, and thoughts to put yourself in a better opportunity, given that you're moving halfway across the country?
1: Right. Yeah. When uh, 2020 started, I never would have thought I'd be moving to Florida. Right. (laughs) It's just... Yeah, I would have I would have told if someone would have told me a year ago I would have said you're you're absolutely crazy. Mm-hmm. But it was interesting because when the the first lockdown mm-hmm. happened in March, it was really nice to just get away from the gym. And right. just I just I just needed a break. Like I felt like I was just doing the same thing over and over and over again and just like constantly like in the strength and conditioning grind and I just I just am, I'm a workaholic and I just never know when to like really stop myself. So it was like a forced rest and I could just refocus my energy on just doing creative work, like more on my blog and podcast and other things that really light me up. And like, I absolutely love in-person coaching, but it was just a nice turn of events and uh, a blessing in disguise. And from, from March until June, I was like, wow, uh, remote training, it, it can work really well mm-hmm. if, if um, executed and, and, and organized well. Um, so we were able to accomplish a lot over Zoom. We we got a lot of like technical work done, uh, jumping and landing, change of direction, uh, speed technique. Obviously, we couldn't run on Zoom, otherwise we'd be running into our walls, right. <laughs> but we still get a lot of mechanics done and that was really nice because as a coach I I had gone into detail with it but not that much so it definitely pushed my coaching and um even just beyond the zoom trainings I have a lot of my athletes on uh, strength and conditioning phone app. So they're able to go out and do their max velocity work. They're able to do the the actual riding and the change of direction drills. And then once they get on the call, we do the technique. So it was just a cool time to see that that could work well and people could still get results. And then <laughs> the fall comes around and I I actually had gone down to Florida because a lot of my friends are down there. I know a lot of colleagues and I was there and I was like, why wouldn't I move? You know, like <laughs> I'm, so, I'm so happy here and I've just had some amazing opportunities as far as like the remote work and uh, coaching mentorship, something that I recently had gotten into and just all these cool avenues that came from the pandemic and i was just down there i'm like what like why not give it a whirl so um i had made my final decision beginning of uh, 2021 and i'm really terrified <laughs> but i'm also excited and i think the things that scare us the most are the things that we need to pursue because here i've i've done a lot um I've, I've built a really big community of awesome athletes. The parents have been amazing and so supportive. And now I just feel like I'm ready for a new challenge and a a new scenery.
0: Absolutely. That is so awesome. Going back to your point on giving the athletes things to do on their own. And then when you're working together through the app, you're focusing on more mechanics or things that they really need your expertise on. Were you good at that before COVID or even when you first started coaching, focusing on, because I think a lot of coaches get caught up in trying to do everything in a session and you have to realize there's some things kids can do on their own pretty good, but there are some things like we really need to focus on, even if they are lesser priority, but they really need my input, my expertise, my you know second you know viewpoint. Were you good at that before COVID or did that really kind of refine that skill for you?
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, before COVID I, I was doing a lot of online training. Okay. But I think during COVID was when I was really able to just make it better and just sharpen the acts and just set it up in a way where um like when we were on the calls, we were getting the work done that we needed to do and it it is the more advanced stuff. It is the more technical stuff like uh, jumping and landing mechanics, uh, lat- lateral speed, uh, deceleration in a small space and just making sure everyone's moving well. And then the, the stuff that's on their app, like as far as the workouts, it's just the, the basic movement patterns loaded. So I, a lot of these kids, they've been with me for a while and I, I have confidence in them to just be able to execute them. But if there's ever like a movement on the app, where like a pause squat that's heavier that I need to see, I tell them to just, hey, message me a video or upload a video to the app just to make sure. And then usually we'll address that on the call if across the board, every athlete is like messing up their pause squats. It's like, okay, here, we're just gonna briefly go over technique. So it definitely helped me just organize the, the online training model a lot better. And I feel online training is, here to stay. Uh, it's right. going to be even more of the future. Obviously, I I live for in person. I love it,
0: mm-hmm. but
1: where this is all going, I think online is going to just be getting even bigger.
0: Right, especially for someone like you. And we'll get into this a little bit later in, in niche development, but where you have a brand, you have a social media presence, you have a history of having success with athletes that athletes. Are going to seek you out outside of your zip code. And if you want to have uh, the best or like the greatest, if your goal is to have the largest impact possible, you want to be able to have an opportunity to impact those athletes. And I think online training is a, a perfect way to help someone who's in California or in Alaska or even overseas. And you're not just limited to the, you know, the zip code that, that you live in. Um, especially with moving too. So then you can keep those connections. You've spent so much time building up in Maryland and in other places you've worked and and lived in. Um, So I definitely think you're on the right track with that. Going back to the the in-person versus online, do you feel as a coach that you're spending too much time on the computer or too much time on your phone or too much time in front of the screen? Has it shifted too much where you're getting sick of that or you're not happy with, with that transition.
1: I I finally found a balance with it. And as, as far as the, the zoom calls, I don't have the kids on there for longer than 40 minutes. Like even that, even that is pushing it. Um, because on, on a zoom call, we're not like stopping to take water breaks. We are moving the whole time for unless I'm explaining something. So they're very short. They're very efficient. And I just, the less screen time for them right now, the better. Um, and I, and I tell them like, you guys only need to make one of these zoom calls a week. You don't need to make both. Uh, we'll just knock everything out on this one uh-huh. 40 minute or less call. But if you have a question, just, just shoot me a message and I'll I'll send you a video back or whatever you need. But I, they, they just have so much screen time right now that all I right. don't like, if, if you're doing an hour zoom call w- w- with athletes, I, I think that that's really pushing it and it's doing them a disservice because the, the zoom fatigue really sets in and mm-hmm. it, it's good to just do something quick and efficient and get, get all the bang for your buck movements in and what you need to teach and just call it a day. <laughs>
0: going forward down in florida what will your balance be of in person versus online are you going to start out all online and then slowly build up the in person or you still see kind of 50/50 split how do you envision that going
1: yeah i gosh i don't i don't even know to be sure. honest okay. um in so in maryland i'm actually uh, 90% in person 10% online okay and i ideally want to keep that similar in Tampa, but I imagine I'm going to start out 90% online, 10% in person, but uh, eventually I want that to be like a 50, 50 split. And I I mean, in, in person, I, I I just love it. I mean, it's just, that's going to be here to stay too. And it's like the, the kids especially need that, that social connection and the, the competitiveness And just, just the good memories. I mean, some of my best memories have been from in-person sessions and all the shenanigans we've done. And, um, I definitely want to rebuild that down there and thankfully have some, some great contacts and colleagues who are just so supportive and just willing to help. And yeah, I'm just going to see where it takes me, but definitely want to build that.
0: That's awesome. So when I go on your Twitter page, you have, you have Twitter, you have Instagram, you have YouTube, you have your website, you have your blog, you have podcasts now. Were you always like that as a coach Were you're dipping your foot in everything and seeing what works and what doesn't? Or did you start out kind of one thing at a time, build that up and then expand as you had the, c- the capability to do that? Mm
1: hmm. That's a great question. Um, So initially when I was in my first five years of training, I, I worked with everyone. So I, I worked with a lot of senior citizens, actually like 60 to 80 year olds who just wanted to get strong and and make sure their knees were staying healthy and they could do the activities that, that they want to do like hike, bike, golf, whatever it is. So I worked with a lot of senior citizens and that's where I actually learned the most and where I had to uh, just adapt w- within a session based on how they were feeling that day or some of the limitations they had. So it was just, it was such a great group to work with from that standpoint, but also they, they need this stuff the most. And that that's another thing. Like if I went back to train working with senior citizens, I would love that, like to work with them and kids. Um, so it's just such a, such a great group and, um, they're capable of so much. I mean, I had, um, like a 65 year old woman, she was deadlifting, like over 135 pounds and just like really cool stuff. So mm-hmm. yeah, I worked, um, just with everyone, uh, kids, uh, different va- various sports. So soccer, lacrosse, basketball, um, worked with, uh, moms, uh, soccer dads. So just a, a really good variety. And then as um i got into my career i was finding the like the elementary and middle school girl uh, soccer player just gravitated towards me and i realized that this is a group where they're just so impressionable and and they're just going through so many physiological changes uh, emotional changes and i was like yeah this is a really great group to also impact and like i i wish i had someone to to guide me through those periods when when I was young. So that's why now I just started to focus more on that population.
0: I love that story because I think a lot of coaches, especially new to the field or younger, they look at where you're at now and they just want to be there and they don't understand like the years and the time and the energy and the effort it took and the variety of populations or the variety of settings that you had to work in to refine those skills and figure out what your passion would be or what your niche could be. And they just wanna skip, they wanna skip steps. And, it, and honestly, like it doesn't work that way because you need to be, I really do think you need to be a good generalist first before you become a specialist because there are different skills, motivation techniques, um, ways to express, ways to communicate that you learn from the older population and the younger population. That makes you better at once you find what you really want to do, you can use those experiences. So I do think that story is really important. And I'm glad that you went through that experience because I think a lot of good coaches, that is necessary for them to get to the level that they want to be at.
1: hmm that's such a, that's such a great point. And uh, yeah, I think a lot of people are quick in their first couple of years to just niche down and they, they do need to just get that variety of experience so that they can really sharpen the acts of coaching and understand how to tweak workouts, like regress, progress, um, understand different per- personalities. Um, and yeah, it, those, those first couple years were the most valuable. Uh, for me. And, um, even with coaches entering, uh, the industry and they want to go online right away, it's like, right. wait a minute, like you, you guys need to crush the, the in-person scene first and learn how to work with an actual human before you have this barrier of a screen, because that's going to be even harder. Right. Um, Even though I've worked with a lot of in-person clients, I still am learning online and it's tough. But I think a lot of coaches see like, oh, well, financial freedom and we're going to go online. It's like, no, that's not how it works. (laughs) You know, it's like, it's not like you just like get an online business overnight without doing in-person coaching. And then it's like, oh, I can just chill on the beach, like check in with people. No, that's, you're probably going to have to coach even harder if you're an online coach.
0: (laughs) Right. Especially that the gap in just like reading someone's expression or their emotion or their tone, like that can even be just filtered through the screen. And you're not understanding, hey, this person's really motivated today. Hey, this person's a little bit down today. Hey, this person's not trying as hard. You know, you think you can pick all that up, but even that screen, I I agree, does make a difference. And I've even noticed that on the podcast when obviously doing a Zoom with you works because. Otherwise I won't be able to do it. But when I can get someone in person, it's a totally different atmosphere. It's the same with calling a person or zooming them or just meeting up with them. I think that I'm so glad that human to human in person connection is so valuable. And I think we've really learned that this last year because there's so many different things you pick up from nonverbals and that that applies to coaching. Just like you said, there's, there's steps you have to take. And skipping steps can actually be detrimental to your growth and to where you end up wanting to go. So I'm glad you you figured that out. You experienced that. And I hope other coaches realize that too, that you can't just get to step 10 without doing steps one, two, three, four, five, six, et cetera. So
1: yeah, it's always good to just have a diverse palette when, when you're starting out, <laughs> I'd say in like the first five years. <laughs>
0: Do you think at some point you do need to niche down and find that population that you really want to be an expert in and, and dedicate to? Do you think that is necessary for coaches to get to at some point?
1: I, I don't think it's necessary. I still see a, a lot of coaches who have been doing this far longer than I have, um, like Mike Mike Boyle, Um Eric Cressy. I mean, he's, he's mainly baseball, but they still work with every, every sport that wants to come in there and even like general pop. So like all those guys are still training just a a wide range of people. And I don't think it's like the end goal is to niche down. It just depends on um, your business and just your journey as a professional. And, And I just found that the, the clients who are gravitating towards me were, uh, youth and then youth the youth girl and I was like, you know I, I really am just intrigued uh, by this population and more research needs to be done on this group um, but there also needs to be um, more people training this population like and on a lot of them. Uh, so there's not like a lot of experienced based research. I think I've only found one other, like female coach, who's been working with the young female athlete for over 12 years. And I'm like, dude, like you're the only person I've found in the trenches. Who's really like training th- this group day in and day out. Mm-hmm. And I think it's, it's a, it's an important group to constantly be working with. My athletes are always schooling me. <laughs> and it, admittedly, I, I still get nervous before I, I run sessions because I'm just like, I want to make sure I serve them, I keep them healthy, I'm showing up for them emotionally. So yeah, I mean, they're always keeping me on my toes.
0: <laughs> what aspect of coaching that you provide do you feel like you needed the most when you were in that fourth grade, fifth grade, sixth grade, that late elementary, early middle school age? What aspects of the coaching do you provide now do you feel that you needed the most then?
1: hmm I've had a a different story growing up. So I I had really great coaches. I had um, a male strength coach when I was in middle school. I think I started in like seventh grade. And what I liked about him was he just encouraged me that being strong was a good thing. And it was going to help my performance. And I still feel there needs to be more of that when communicating with the young female athlete. Like you need to celebrate that you have muscles and that that you're strong, but you also need to understand, okay, there's going to be a couple of years in your life where you're going to be going through a period of growth and you might feel like you're slowing down or it's a little awkward, but that's okay. And we'll, we do what we control and we'll get through it. Um, at the time when I was growing up, I did not have education on the growth spurt. Um, I think now it's becoming more of a a hot topic and and there's more education surrounding it. So that's, that's my mission is to just educate the player. Hey, this is a time you're going to go through and and we'll get through it, but also educating the parent not to like be so hard on their girl and try to rush that process. uh, Well, or try to offset such a natural process in, in growth. So that's been that's been huge in, in my coaching is the education piece.
0: Is it intentional that you take not only that education piece, but you really touch on a lot of different topics? Obviously, you're you're brilliant at you know plyometrics and strength training and agility and speed and all that. But you really touch on mindset, self empowerment, self image, recovery you really try to touch on all aspects of performance in your blog posts, in your podcast, on your social media. Is that intentional when you when you first started out or even now? Or is that just kind of a byproduct of what you're exposed to and what you think can help people?
1: Mm-hmm. It's just been a, an organic uh, process because early in my career, I didn't I wasn't researching the other factors of performance. I was just all about, okay, we need to get in the gym. We need a load. We need to lift heavy. And then what I was finding was some of my athletes were just having these minor setbacks, whether ankle sprain, soft tissue injury. And I'm like, wait, like they're my strongest girls, what's going on. And then I started to research, uh, Matthew Walker's research on sleep, uh, Brandon Marcello as well. Um, a lot of stuff on the nervous system and how that impacts performance, uh, nutrition is a big one. So yeah, it was just seeing how my athletes were responding to training and what other pieces were, were missing in their program. Um, I even just, I had a a girl and and this is pretty amazing. I had a girl, uh, she's, she was training for the yo-yo test to go back to UNC for women's soccer. And she wasn't uh, getting the, the standard for the fitness test. And I'm like, gosh, she's so, she's in the best shape of her life. She's incredibly strong. She's so fast. What's, what's going on. And when we ran the test the last time before she had left, I was like, you're, you're standing there hunched over and your breathing is just, it's not right. Like you're not taking advantage of your recovery. And I know you just wrote an article, an amazing article in Simply Faster on breathing and how important that is. And I'm glad that's a a pillar of performance for you. So when we just tweaked her breathing and, and just doing nasal breathing, slow breaths in those like 10 seconds, she had to rest before she had to do that next run, everything changed and and she like exceeded her standard and i was like wow that's just such a, a small but very magical fix and we have to pay attention to all these other things beyond just um the muscles and and the the work we're doing in the gym
0: that's such an amazing story because i think growing up an old school coach would have just yelled at you more said work harder try harder you need a Do more sprints. You need to do more conditioning. You need to lift more weights. And you're almost beating a dead horse at that point versus being progressive, being open to new ideas, trying things that maybe you don't know if they work or not. Maybe you've read a lot of research where it's like, maybe this will work. Maybe it won't. I don't know. Let's try it. And it's something that's, The thing with breathing drills that I just really like, they're easy, they're simple, they don't take much time, and they can have a dramatic effect. So anytime, and the same thing when you're picking out exercises or you're picking out a motivational quote, if it's easy, simple, and it has a big impact, like why wouldn't we do it? What's the downside of it? That is amazing that you have that story, and that gives you so much more power to enable other girls that are having similar issues, you can tell them, hey... I think this will work because it worked with this athlete. The research supports it logically makes sense to me. And you can express your athletic ability to a better power than you are now because the limiting factor isn't your strength or your conditioning or your speed. It's actually your breathing. And if we don't recognize this, you're always going to be limited.
1: Mm -hmm. That's such a good point that uh, most coaches, like if they see an athlete, struggling or not not performing well or maybe they're not showing up and and working their hardest the first thing they assume is oh well we need to just up the ante on training right and that's when the the injuries happen uh and that's when nervous system burnout happens so so now instead of like looking at what we can change in training first i'm like okay well what can we change in breathing and sleep and nutrition And usually, like, it's all three we need to change. (laughs) Um,
0: (laughs) Yeah, you have worked with youth athletes. You know the trends.
1: Yeah, it's usually those three. And, uh, like, even when uh, a player just, like, has, like, muscle soreness or they feel they, like, tweak the hip or something, I'm like, okay, well, are you fueling enough Are you getting at least uh, eight hours of sleep a night? Are you spending the whole day on your phone? Are you constantly in fight or flight? Like check that first before you start stretching your hip flexor, which probably doesn't need to be stretched. (laughs) You know, it's just like all all these like old school things. And you're just like, let's try this. And then you see that that works and there is the research behind it. But it's just, it's just fun to just continue to solve the puzzle. (laughs)
0: Let's take each of those kind of one step at a time, so with recovery, it's really easy to tell someone, "Hey, you need eight hours of sleep, the research shows it like you're gonna be you know you can give them all the facts, but that doesn't necessarily going to change their behavior. What have you used to actually implement changes, whether they're napping more they're getting better at an earlier time with recovery for your athletes
1: mm-hmm. Yes, that's that's great. Um, yeah. Behavior change is one of the toughest ones, especially with with youth and just the the lifestyle they're they're living, uh, especially with like being more on their phones and, and on screens. So something like sleep or nutrition, it's all about micro dosing and just giving them. Small tips at a time. Um, So I'm not going to tell someone, hey, like you need to get off your phone an hour before bed. I'd rather start small and be like, okay, just do 30 minutes. And see if you can do that. Or before you go to sleep, just dim your lights in the house. Mm-hmm. And those are really small fixes. It's not like you need to completely change your whole routine. Right. Um, so each time we just add on layers. And I think that the more we have these discussions, the more they hear it, the, the more they start to slowly change their behavior. And then when they start to get good sleep, they're like, oh, well, I, I dim the lights. Like I did that. So then they, they know what, what they need to do. Not everyone needs to dim the lights before bed, but it's it's all about just seeing what works for you. And I just try to tell them, look, like if something's not working, like change your environment, change what you're doing and see, it, see if it works, see if it helps you.
0: So as a physical therapist and a strength condition coach, I know how important nutrition is, but it's always hard for me to know like how far to give advice because I don't have a formal education in it, and I know there are there can be issues if you try to implement too much change or too much direction just for the health and safety of the athlete. How far will you go with nutrition advice, and what do you feel comfortable with? And, and on top of that, what have you seen change with your athlete? So just talk about your nutrition, basically.
1: Nutrition's a tough one uh, right. for strength coaches and physical therapists because, um like when it comes to calorie needs, uh, that's, that's something I don't touch. Um, obviously I'm not an expert in it, did go to school for it. And that's, right. that's when I refer out, if it's a, a caloric issue or a weight loss or weight gain issue, I always have to refer out. Um, but if someone is maybe feeling tired or they're showing up to a workout just off, then I just talk to them, um, with, uh, as far as nutrition, we, we look at just their energy levels and just go off of feeling Okay, and we can't, we can't quantify that, but they have to know themselves enough. Okay. Well, what did what I eat this morning fuel my workout with Erica? Did I feel at my best? So I always try to tell them, look, just listen to your body. And if you need to add an extra bowl of vegetables, or maybe you need to add an extra glass of water, do that. And, and again, see, see if it helps you out, but anything that, yeah, that has to do with like specific meal plans. I don't write, like people ask me all the time. I'm like, I do not (laughs) touch that at all. Um, haven't in like five years I did when I was starting out, which was stupid. Um, but now don't, don't do that. And, um, anything with specific calories or just meal timing, I don't (laughs) touch any of that.
0: Right. When you say refer out, do you have specific resources, whether in person or online that you refer out to?
1: Yes. Yeah. I've been lucky to just come across some great, um, uh, youth, uh, uh, registered dietitians. Um, there's a lot of, uh, women on, that I found on Instagram who specialize in like the female soccer athlete. Uh, Riley Beatty is like one of my go-tos. She's the UCLA women's soccer dietician, but she also does consulting remotely. So I always refer them to her page. Um, I just recently had a girl who said she just cut out carbs completely and my jaw just like dropped. I was like, what? (laughs) So I just approached that. I was like, Hey, like, why don't you just check out Riley? Like, and see, see like the great content she posts on her page and just some like really good snack ideas to help you feel at your best when you're working out. And I just left it at that. Um, right. so that's, that's how I try to, I just try to approach it in a softer way.
0: And you almost connect the dots for them. You feel this way. This is what you ate. Are those connected at all? You didn't sleep last night. Your performance is terrible today. Are those connected at all? And you're more just kind of leading them to to think a little bit farther How are these actions affecting my performance and my effort when I'm on the field or in the weight room or even at school and in life? And I think that's a a very solid approach. I do think just to touch on nutrition again, and even with exercise too, there's a lot of content out there that is good for specific populations. And a lot of the times it's not the athlete population because they are very unique set of demands, both on their their body and their brain. And if you're just taking, let's just say intermittent fasting, or you're taking like different sleep protocols and you're just randomly applying them to your body, that might not be meeting the demands of your sport or your exercise routine. And you might actually doing more harm than good by following random advice that might be better suited for a different population.
1: Yeah, that's, that's so true. And I think, uh, Like with social media, a lot of these kids are seeing certain celebrities that they love or just influencers eating a certain way. And they're not understanding that, well, these people don't play a 90-minute soccer match. right? Um, So what they're doing is going to be vastly different than what you're doing and and what you need. So just, yeah, just continuing to just point them in the direction of the the people that they need to – um, admire or connect with as far as their nutrition is extremely important because when shoot, when I was a teenager, like the, the, even the diets I saw like on cosmopolitan and that was like the main like media source back then. Um, I was just like, I I would try those diets, um, but they failed every time. And I can't even imagine nowadays, just having even more of that BS in your face, um, as, as a teenage girl. So yeah, it's, it's really critical to just point them in the right direction.
0: So with those kinds of advice, are you always just responding to things that they say or bring up, or are you being proactive when you first meet with them the first couple of weeks and putting those messages out? Like these are things we should prioritize not only when you're with me, but when you're at home too.
1: Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a a little bit of everything. Like every week uh, on our Zoom calls, we're always discussing, like I have everyone take inventory. Uh, The the kids are just like so used to it now. Like we'll rank like nutrition, our sleep, uh, even things like our friendships, academics, um, like stress levels, like we'll take inventory of all those. And then usually the group is lacking in the same categories each week. And then we'll just attack those categories. And that's when I I give them some tips or I have to refer them to an expert to follow, or maybe an article to read or a video to watch. So it's, yeah, it's a little bit of just responding to what they say to me, like, oh, I cut out carbs. (laughs) like That's like, I really got to take action with that one. Um, but also just being proactive and just having everyone take inventory of their lives and how it's impacting how they show up on the field. And it's going to be something that they are going to have to do way after sp- organized sports ends. Um, and they're going to have to really just take care of their their mind and bodies when they're professionals, uh, when they're when they're moms or whatever. Like they they really need to take care of themselves.
0: Do you feel like you can relate to these athletes a little bit better because you played soccer at such a high level?
1: Yeah, definitely. I I think just knowing what it takes as far as training, and uh, even with like the strength and conditioning growing up, like that I had started in middle school, I was really exposed to how much I need to push, push my body to, to get results. Um, of course take adequate recovery, but there were so many sessions where I was really pushing it, like through our conditioning drills, our speed drills, hill sprints. Um, we learned Olympic lifting, um, like everything. And now looking back, I'm like, yeah, I really want to share with kids, like this this takes a lot of work. This is this is not a, an overnight speed camp. This is this is going to be something you you are with me for the long run and you might not even see the best results of all of this until you're like end of high school or even in college and I always say this like those are the times you you want to peak. You you don't want to be peaking when you're 12 years old and in the middle of your growth spurt. <laughs> So, um, yeah, I just, it it's been really nice to be able to have that experience of strength and conditioning and seeing the benefits pay off. I stayed healthy all through high school, all through college, and then just reached a, a high level of, of starting all four years in college and, and being captain. And it, it really was all of that hard work, especially in, in the off season. Like that's, that's the time to really get stronger and, and to really become more resilient.
0: You seem like a self-starter, so I don't think this question applies to you at all. But do you think with athletes, even when you were growing up or even now, do they have a hard time committing to the process, being self-motivated, being accountable, being consistent? Do you see that as a common theme or or not?
1: I think with with some kids yes but okay. it it comes back to the the education piece and um with with the athletes i work with and even with the new ones coming on like they understand what the standard is for training and like you you need to be doing this for for several months several years especially if you're in middle school and you're starting with me and that's when i have to talk to the parents like what what we're doing and and where we're supposed to go, and like why this is a, a gradual process. So it's, yeah, it really is is being uh, transparent about like why we need to start with the the basics, and then eventually we can move on to the cooler stuff <laughs> and and the fun stuff that you see on Instagram. Um, we can't just jump right to that because that's when the injuries happen. But then at that point, it's like we've we've exhausted our systems. Ability to even just like progress when they get to high school or college.
0: What's the youngest age you'll start working with, and has that changed at all over the last you know three to f- or since you started doing this?
1: Mm-hmm. The youngest age I work with is like eight or nine year old girls. Okay. Um, not very common though. Usually I encourage people to come to me when they're in middle school. Sure. But um, with the younger group it's It's really just about play and having fun and just exposing them to just a variety of of motor skills. And everything is going to be a competition, uh, a race, um a task oriented game. And then, just like secretly, they're getting like the balance, the stability, the speed, and all the things that they need to to develop and take advantage of that that window of opportunity when when they're learning uh, new motor skills. But, yeah, nowadays, it's more the the middle school athlete, and um with them, we're starting with just teaching the the basic movement patterns and then eventually uh loading with bands dumbbells, and some of them are are loading in sixth and seventh grade, especially uh girls who have matured earlier and who have proven to me that they can control those movement patterns
0: right so' and um, expand a little bit of far, do you get into high school college athletes as well or is it predominantly? Middle school, early high school. Do you get into the 18, 19, 20, 21 year olds?
1: Right now I do not. So the okay. ones I do have are the ones who started with me in like sure. sixth grade. <laughs> right. Um, so yeah, that's been awesome to see. I would say the oldest high schoolers I have now are juniors. Um, but also I've known them since middle school. Right. And um yeah, it's for whatever reason, it's just that that younger athlete that I've just began to niche down to. And, um, like even my college girls now, like they'll, they'll come back during their break for training. But at the same time, I'm just like, you guys have been doing this for so long. Like you could write your own workout program and it, it would be great. Like it, it might even be better than mine. <laughs> <laughs> What's
0: well, the beauty of being an, an awesome coach is enabling, Athletes to take care of themselves and almost coach yourself out of the job that you've taught them so much, they can take you know the ship from there. when they go off to college, they're on their own, they're making good decisions about their exercise, about their self-image, about their nutrition, about their sleep. And it's because you've you didn't give them a fish, like you taught them how to fish. And I think that separates a good coach from a great coach is when the athletes start doing it on their own, or they become strength and condition coaches, or they become soccer coaches because they're inspired by the work that you have done. So I definitely think you're on the right track when, and if they're writing better programs than you, you're probably just too much in your head of all like, oh, <laughs> should I do four sets or five sets? And right. sometimes <laughs> as coaches, we're our own worst enemy me when you just overthink everything. And then something simple comes along. It's like, you know, I should have just done that. It seems a lot easier.
1: Yeah, um, it, it is It is a great place to get to. And I'm, I'm just at the point where like, I don't, I don't want these kids to be with me forever. Like I don't want them to feel like they have to constantly rely on me um, for, for help uh, because that's like the real world is like, you have to ultimately make your own decisions and do what is best for you. So the more I can get them to be autonomous and, doing their strength training, taking care of their health, taking care of their, their mental health as well. That's, I've really done my job. This is not a lifetime consumer industry in my opinion. Um, but you know, if they would come back to me as maybe senior citizens, sure. Like (laughs) if they really need the help, but I, I want to get them to a point where they, they like got it on their own.
0: When working with youth athletes, there, there can be a fine line between keeping it fun and encouraging and and being positive, but also you want to instill a sense of accountability, whether it's showing up early or like doing your homework or, you know, doing the things that you give them to do at home, things like that. Have you struggled with that fine line at all? Or have you always had a good amount of, Hey, this is what I expect of you, but also let's make this as fun as possible.
1: Mm Mm-hmm. I haven't had too many issues. Uh, a lot of the younger kids know to get there early, um, at least like ten minutes early. And then as soon as the session starts, they they know the warm up. Like they're gonna go through the warm up themselves. Um, and like I'm just that's my time to just have fun and and to talk to them while they're they're doing the warm up, and everyone can just socialize. Um, so yeah, I've never run into issues. I honestly, I, I, I wrote about this in my, in my blog and just reflecting back on the past nine years, but I've never had to yell at anyone. Like <laughs> I'm not like a, a loud, uh, jovial extroverted coach at all. And I, I don't know what it is. It might just be my silent demeanor that makes people think that this is very serious, but right. we all, but the drills that we do are, are fun. Um, but I don't do anything like special I or, or like yell or I don't, I don't, I'm not cheerleader either. Right. <laughs> um. So yeah, that's been interesting to reflect on. I've, I've had to like kick one kid out of the facility before, but that was for like profanity and just like giving up on an exercise. And that was, that did not feel good because I didn't want to get to that point, but um, it, I had to. <laughs>
0: Right. At some point there's a line between a kid acting out and a kid being blatantly rude and disrespectful. And there are consequences for that. And we see that all the time, whether kids acting out in school or in society, and, and there has to be punishment. We can't just gloss everything over as, Oh, it's okay. It's okay. At some point it turns into disrespect and it's a hard position. I'm glad you've only had one instance, you know, one instance that stood out because we don't want that repetitive behavior, but it's also a hard thing. To, 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 deal with. Yeah. Um,
1: I still have, um, like I'll have a few instances where I'll be explaining a drill and there'll be right. like talk, but then it's like, well, we need to say something right there. And I just approach it from the standpoint of look, like if you guys are talking when I'm explaining a drill, like a, is it, is it, it's disrespectful, but mm-hmm. B you're going to be asking me a hundred questions as soon as the drill starts and you're just wasting your time. And you're not going to be able to get the most out of this session. If you're constantly asking me, okay, what are we doing? Like, I'd rather, okay, everyone be silent. I'm going to explain the drill. And then we're just going to jump right in. And I approach it like from the, the angle of, okay, well, this is your session. So you guys better be making the most of this so that you, you can get the most benefit out of this. If if you're talking, we're going to accomplish nothing. We only have an hour to 75 minutes together. So this is, I just throw it back on them at that point.
0: I love that explanation. It always made the most sense to me when a coach or a teacher just explained it, like you're only hurting yourself. You're only limiting yeah. your growth. You're wasting your time. You know, as a coach, you want to be there, but at the end of the day, like it, it doesn't matter to you how much you get done. It matters to the kids, like how much you want to get done in this session. Yeah. And if you want to spend the whole time talking, great. You're not going to see the progress that you can expect or that you want, or that you, that you envision for yourself. Um, and I struggle that too, even in, in non-sport settings, like with college, there's times I didn't want to go to class. And then someone explained, you're only hurting yourself. Like You're paying to do this. And if you're not going to go, yeah. you're just wasting your time and money and, Honestly, my yeah, like,
1: professor doesn't care. Like he could just exactly. chill in the corner. He could just sit on the floor and like,
0: <laughs> Right. Just, yeah. <laughs> and so if you are going to show up, if you are going to be, especially when you're in a group setting, like make the most of it, like make the most opportunity, like build relationships, build your exercise capabilities, like learn something, take advantage of that. And uh it seems like for the most part, your athletes recognize the opportunity that they have in front of them. And that's, That's so glad to see, because as coaches, we just want to have the biggest impact possible and as many athletes as we can, and that they bring these lessons forward, not only in sports, but in life.
1: Yeah, exactly. It's like, all of this is, is really on you guys. I'm just showing up with the program and, and what we're doing, but I don't need to be doing this. You know, like I've, I've even had like a group of elementary school girls. I was like, look, if you guys are just goofing off i'm gonna go sit in the corner of the facility and face the wall and just sit crisscross and sit there until you guys are ready to go (laughs) and we we've done that like we i was sitting there for like 10 minutes i'm like all right is everyone ready and then they'll like just jump on top of me and i'm like okay well we're ready now like let's go
0: (laughs) right i might do
1: older kids too that'll be funny
0: (laughs) i need to try that one just go i'm gonna go look at the wall because we're gonna as much done as as you just jabbering while I'm trying to explain something important to you. We do get a lot of coaches, therapists, trainers, uh, sport coaches that listen to this podcast, just to kind of wrap things up here. What's one piece of advice you would give them either what your your younger self wish would have known or something that in the future, you know, the next year or two, you anticipate changing or happening. What's one piece of advice you would give our listeners for,
1: for anyone new starting in the industry, remember what you preach to your athletes and that is the long process of strength and conditioning and performance or rehab same with your career <laughs> it's it's going to take several months several years to just really get, get good at what you're doing, uh, to make the connections you need to make to, uh, grow your client base. So practice what, what you preach and don't expect results overnight because you tell your athletes that all the time.
0: (laughs) The number one predictor of success is delayed gratification. I don't know where I read that is in a book or is on a blog. Maybe it was on your blog, even who knows, but (laughs) it, uh, I definitely agree with that. It's a long-term game. You're not playing for today or tomorrow. You're playing for five years, 10 years, or coaching, or or working with athletes, athletes for the future. Uh, I think that's a great piece of advice. And the podcast on Erica, thank you so much. We'll put your your all your information. There's too much to to list right now. We'll put all your information in the show notes. And anyone listening, please follow Erica on social media. She's been a huge impact on me, both with understanding how to be a better coach, but also be a better person. Thank you for taking time to be on the podcast. Uh, I appreciate you having you as a guest.
1: Thank you, Tom. This was awesome.